Well, good evening, church. Welcome again to our Wednesday night devotional refresh. I know you, I hope, you have your own devotions, but it's just nice, I think, that in the middle of the week, we can come and corporately uh, focus our minds on the same passage and some of the same thoughts so that we're, we're studying the Bible together in the middle of the week. So I hope you can join us. We're working through... Uh, a really interesting chapter as we go through the book of Mark. This is uh, part 29, 29 weeks in Mark's gospel. And we've been focusing on Mark chapter 13. And in Mark chapter 13, you have Jesus dealing as extensively as he ever does in one setting. The idea of uh, the end of the world, his coming, his coming grace, his coming judgment, eternal life, future things. Uh, it's called the Olivet Discourse. So you have Mark 13, you have Luke 21, and Matthew 24. Those three, those three texts deal with uh, the same event where Jesus on the Mount of Olives starts answering disciples' questions about future events. And just one, by way of review, one reminder, I said it's important to remember that the disciples actually asked Jesus a couple of questions if, if you just went back, we've already studied these, but in Mark 13, the first couple verses, Jesus, they're coming out of the temple, and one of his disciples said to him, 13.1, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And then Jesus starts to explain. He says, you know what? The day is going to come when there's not going to be one stone left on top of the other. Speaking of the destruction of the temple, the taking of Jerusalem, 70 AD by the Romans. But I said last week, it's important to remember that Jesus is answering more than just one question. And, and the place where you see that most clearly probably is the same account in uh, Matthew 24. The same thing, they're coming out of the temple, Matthew 24 and the disciples point out the buildings in verse 1. And then 24.2, Jesus says to them, You see all these things? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, 70 AD, that's what Jesus is talking about. But then look, verse 3 of Matthew 24. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, Olivet Discourse, Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? When, when will these stones all be knocked down and the temple destroyed? When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so the disciples are asking Jesus really a couple of questions. Now, they might in their minds, to be fair, they might think of these things as just collapsing into one event. But I think Jesus, in his answer, makes it clear that there's, that there's a, a, a near future application in the destruction of Jerusalem and a more distant future application when Jesus comes again visibly, personally, to establish his kingdom. Maybe a better way to say it would be like this. When you read uh, Mark 13, Luke 21, Matthew 24, it's hard. I mentioned this last Sunday night last Wednesday night, rather, it's hard as you read these things to sort out, okay, are these words from Jesus, are they talking about 70 AD and the disciples or 
these words from Jesus now, is he talking about his second coming at the end of the age? And I made the comment last week that it's usually very hard to tell, and I think that's intentional. I think that's intentional so that you you never do get to just chart out the exact day and hour and know exactly when everything is happening. So I think I think Jesus is answering all of their questions, and he does it in such a way that some of the things he says apply to 70 AD, the disciples, the end of their lives, and that time, and others, other things that Jesus uh, teaches, they describe the, the end of the age. And I think the best way to picture it is like this. The destruction of Jerusalem is talked about in these passages and described in detail, the 70 AD destruction. But it's described in such a way that it isn't just talking about Jerusalem, so that the destruction of the temple and the city is a picture of, a prequel to, the coming judgment at the end of the age. The judgment of Rome on Jerusalem is talked about in these passages, but it's not talked about specifically just in and of itself. It's used as a picture to describe the coming judgment. In the same way, if you've ever carefully gone through the book of Revelation, you find that the Old Testament judgment under Babylon of God's people, the book of Revelation actually has pictures of that Old Testament judgment, but still using it as a, as a prequel to a picture of God's coming judgment at the end of the age. So this isn't uncommon where you have historic events. They're described, but they're not described just in and of themselves. They're described as a picture of uh, future judgment. That's a long introduction. Okay, let's look at the text. We'll pick it up at uh, 28. Matthew 13, 28. Jesus is the speaker. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as you see its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. Okay, 29. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the end is near and at the very gates. So, So Jesus picks this lesson of the fig tree, probably chooses the fig tree because it was the most uh, obvious in the sense of losing leaves and getting new buds that would sprout again in spring. And so it was to teach that while some of these future events, you can't pick the very day or hour, but still you ought to be able to sense big events coming, see seasons coming. Have an awareness of the general times, the age that you're living in. This would refer both to the disciples and the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD and disciples of Jesus living at the end of the age with the events of uh, the Great Tribulation and some of those events coming at the end of the age. Now, Paul picks up this idea. Jesus talks about the fig tree, okay? So you you should be able to sense when these big prophetic events are drawing near, at least the general on-the-horizon kind of approach of them. Paul does exactly the same thing, talking now about the end of the age, and he does it in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 8. So get a a Bible and look at these verses. Now concerning the times and the seasons, fig tree, see? 
concerning the times and the seasons, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now look at these words. But you are not in the darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. So it'll surprise some people, but it shouldn't surprise you. Five, for you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So the day, the day when Jesus comes again, it'll surprise a lot of people, but it shouldn't be a complete surprise for those who love Jesus and are looking for his appearing. Because Mark 13, like the fig tree, Okay, there's buds there. It's getting ready. Spring's spring's getting close. Or the way Paul describes it, people knowing the times and the seasons, the big picture, not trying to pick point, pinpoint day and hour and the specifics. You don't need to. But a sensing of the seasons and the times. All right, point number two. Look at Mark 13, 30 and 31. These are really tricky verses. Truly I say to you, here it is, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So you just can't pretend those verses aren't there. And there are, of course, the two obvious questions in view of verse 30 especially. Which generation is this generation, the one that won't pass away. Is that the first disciples? Is it just the first disciples? When they see these things coming to Jerusalem, they won't die before they see the destruction of Jerusalem. Is it just them? Or who else might be included? And this naturally leads to the second important question, What things are meant by these things? The generation that sees these things, verse 29. Are these things just the destruction of Jerusalem or are end time prophetic events included? I'm just going to give you my opinion on this. This generation, verse 30, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Who is this generation? I think, I think that those words do apply to those first disciples because some of the warnings Jesus gives seem to be so specific to that time and the coming Roman uh, judgment on, on Jerusalem. So I think this generation includes those first disciples who would not die before they saw the destruction of Jerusalem. But... I also think that they refer to another generation. So again, you have this double fulfillment principle. I think this is made, here's why I think 
this generation isn't just those first disciples who would see the fall of Jerusalem. I think there's a reason for our thinking it includes another future generation, and I get that from Luke 21. So this is Luke's account, the same all of it discourse, 29 to 36. And he, that's Jesus, told them a parable. Look at the fig tree. So same as Mark. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already at hand. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Same words, 32. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Okay, that's like Mark said. 33. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, like the Apostle Paul said. For that day will come upon you suddenly like a trap. Now, here's why I think, here's why I think these words include more than just the destruction of Jerusalem. Look at 34 again, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you all suddenly like a trap. 35, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. This isn't just Jerusalem. And this isn't just those first disciples, though I think the words initially included them. 36, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. Look, and stand before the Son of Man. So here, Luke seems to make, um, it includes this generation, that generation of disciples who would see the fall of Jerusalem. But there's a generation that's going to see this come upon the whole earth, that wasn't the first disciples. And it's going to be delivered by standing before the Son of Man. So that's why I think this generation includes that first generation. There's a group, Jesus said, some of you here, you're going to see the destruction of Jerusalem, where one stone is left, not on the other, like, like they asked. But this generation also includes another generation that will see the cataclysmic events coming at the very end of the age. Okay, so that's the this generation question. Now, these things in verse 29. We'll see these things. Again, I think it's important to remember that there's probably a double fulfillment as there is throughout the passage. The first disciples, they would be able to see the destruction of Jerusalem. There would be signs to warn them, these things, of its coming. But here's the deal. The placement of those words, these things, in the text is important because it follows immediately on the heels of the description of the coming of the Son of Man. That's in Mark 13, 24 to 27. And so, and so the, the idea seems to be that, okay, there's the signs of the coming of the destruction of Jerusalem. That's included in the these things. But the idea seems to be that there's a generation that's going to see some specific things. So there will always be 
Jesus said wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes. These things will continue even if they intensify. They'll continue through the whole church age. But there seems to be an escalating of some very cataclysmic, sudden events that there's going to be a generation that will witness those things and not pass away before Jesus comes again. Point number three. Look at verses 32 to 37. There's kind of a practical application here as I want to wind this study up. So Mark 13, 32. But concerning the day or that hour... No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Let me just pause and and share something I think is kind of interesting. It's not the main point of the study. So Jesus, these end time things, all of these events, Jesus says, they're asking him about it. And Jesus says, you know what, it's no one knows, not the angels in heaven, nor the Son, Jesus says, I don't know. So in his, it's interesting, in his incarnate state, as he fully human and fully God, in his incarnate state, he says, even the son, I don't know these things. But it's just interesting that after his resurrection, okay, right before his ascension, the disciples ask him the very same question. It's in Acts uh, 1, I think right around verse 7, you can look it up. And the disciples ask the very same thing about when his kingdom's coming. And Jesus doesn't say he doesn't know anymore, the risen Christ. What he says is, it's not for you to know. I just find that interesting that before his, before his death and resurrection, he says that no one knows, not even the son, just the father. And then after his resurrection, when they ask him the same thing, he doesn't say he doesn't know anymore. He just says, it's not for you to know. I find that interesting, though it's not the main point. So, Mark 13, 33. Be on guard, keep awake. You do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, to the disciples now, stay awake. You do not know when the master of the house will come. Okay, so this isn't when Rome is going to come. This is the master of the house, Jesus, when he is going to come. You do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or midnight or when the cock crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Interesting, eh? The disciples... Verses 3 and 4, they're asking when questions. When is this going to happen? When is that going to happen? How will we know when this is going to happen? And Jesus' real concern doesn't seem to be answering the when questions very specifically. He doesn't, except in very broad strokes. Jesus' concern is not the when question, but how will they spend their time while they wait? I think that's something for all of the church to think about. The interest in Bible prophecy is immense. And, and Jesus' concern seems to be, you know, the, you've only so much time. How are, how are you spending it while you wait? Luke makes the point even more strongly in his account of the Olivet Discourse, Luke 21, 34, 
Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, that that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. So the great danger in Jesus' mind, and we don't think this way, isn't the persecution. It's not the sufferings, not the persecution. That's not the big issue. The, the main danger is, is the distraction, the seduction, the apathy, the comfort. The great danger, Jesus says, 1336, isn't the persecution. The great danger is falling asleep. It's not easy to wait. It's harder to wait for a long, long time focusing on one thing. Matthew, he's dominated by that very same theme of warning, Matthew's account of the Olivet Discourse. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And then, and then this is Jesus speaking, as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And then he's not talking now about the persecution. Look what he talks about. Here's the danger, 38. Matthew 24, 38. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So the danger again, distraction. Distraction, focusing on the wrong things. Uh, living like there's no state of emergency. Living like they, they don't have a promise of coming reward and coming judgment, that there's an end to these things. The people, they saw, they saw uh, Noah building the ark for years and years and years in the middle of the desert. And they never took it seriously until the door was closed, Jesus says in another place, and the flood swept them away. So the idea here is, sure, there's all sorts of questions. There's all sorts of things to think about and know. It's good to know the times and the seasons, but don't let your brain get distracted from the issue of loving Jesus, serving Jesus, staying close to Jesus, carrying out his mission in this world. That's my take on those tricky verses from Mark chapter 13. Uh, Sunday morning, boy, can't meet yet, but Sunday morning we're working through 1 John I want to study this Sunday morning, walking in the light of Christ continually. Is that possible? Walking in the light of Christ, not in just moments of renewal, but continually walking in the light. We'll be studying that uh, Sunday morning, 10 o'clock. And then Sunday night, boy, I hope you join us Sunday night, 6.30 for soul food. We've been studying the Bible, how we got it, and then we're going to get into how to study it. This Sunday night at 6.30, here's the question I want, to answer. I want to answer. Are the words of Scripture inspired or just the ideas? So the words are kind of just humanly chosen words, but they carry the idea that God wants to get across. Or are the words truly inspired? We'll be studying that Sunday night at 6.30. Let's pray. We're grateful for the hope we have in your word. We're grateful, Lord, for the way you speak to us of our need for love, devotion, service, watchfulness. We know you're coming again. We know it's getting closer, not farther away. 
Keep our hearts rooted in your word, rooted in love for another, rooted in winning the lost. Keep us all close to you, I pray, as we study together. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. Hang in there. Stay in the word and love one another.